They did. Welcome to Subtitles, where we spike the canon in music and movies. In each episode, we will offer up replacements for each title in the top 100 of a well-known, well-regarded ranking, and we'll walk away with a pair of subtitles, which we think deserve more acclaim, and to which attention must be paid. I'm Matt, and I'm replacing the top 100 entries on Spin Magazine's 2015 list of the top 300 albums from 1985 until 2015, starting with number one and working down. And I'm Tim. I'm replacing the entries on the 2007 AFI 100 Years 100 Movies list, starting with number 100 and working up. Here's how this works. Two of us have gone through each list, decided on a theme of the original entry, and have come up with a pair of potential replacement titles which share that theme. We'll talk about that original entry, sometimes we'll regret that we have to get rid of it, and sometimes we'll rejoice in being able to drop it but this podcast is not just another dissection of an outmoded list. In part one of this episode, I have two new albums to talk through, and Tim will make the choice for the subtitles albums list. Then, in part two, Tim will have two new movies to discuss, and I will decide which of them deserves a place on the subtitles movies list. Sometimes I will have seen the movies, and sometimes Tim will have listened to the albums, but at the end of the day, what matters is how well we've sold the titles. And at the end of some of those days, one of us will want to bop the other for that choice. And once we finish this off, we'll do some fun activities with the new lists we've collaborated on. But before we can get there, we have to do this. Today's title to be replaced is Kid A, Radiohead's uh, 2000 album. Clocking in at, what am I at here, Tim? 33 or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 33. How did Kid A make it to 33? Do you have any guesses? I mean, all I've got is that they, they just don't want to have two Radiohead albums in the top ten. I mean, is that is that the idea? Is the other one the other one's actually not in the top ten, is it? No, it is. It's fourth. I lied. I think I think that's all it is. <laughs> it is pretty right? firmly in the top ten, it's safe. <laughs> I, I feel like that's just that's kind of it. It's just a matter of like we could we could put it like, I don't know, where Sonic Youth went. And, and, like, have one at 4, one at 12. I, I think they're just spacing it out. That's what I got. I think... So, OK Computer is sixth on the list. Yeah. Though we recorded in a funky order, so that's probably what... Uh, so... Now, yeah, there's, go there's, ahead. Act, there's actually a highly technical reason why that happened. It's because that was fourth from the top when I looked at it, but I had two more spaces on the sheet to go up. So that's that's the very technical reason why I said fourth. <laughs> That's sort of fun, though, because in that reading, Prince is number one, <laughs> which I'm here for. Um, so anyway, OK Computer is sixth, and Kid A is 33rd now. I'll get back to why I think this is mildly blasphemous in a second, but now we're doing math, and I can't resist. So Nirvana has obviously the number one entry... And we had our In Utero episode uh, not too long ago. That's at 28th. So they're the only band artist that shows up twice in the top 30. Right, 6 and 33 is nothing to sneeze at. But if you gave me Nevermind and In Utero, in Utero and then gave me OK Computer and Kid A, I'm taking one of those every time. And it's not Nirvana. <laughs> um and I was just going to say real quick, I, I 
am not replacing Sonic Youth at 12, so maybe that's a different podcast to make, but um, maybe we could take out our friend 69 Love Songs and just throw Kid A somewhere up in there. <laughs> if we were really looking for the uh, the way to get rid of things you don't like, Slanted and Enchanted at 10, and, and I actually counted this time, and it was 10, and it's all the way at the top of the Google Sheet, and I did a good job proud of you tim um yeah that would give i don't like much ink has been spilled on radiohead in general on kid a specifically it turned 20 last year much more ink was spilled on kid a specifically in radiohead in general it's radiohead at their absolute pinnacle which is higher than nearly every other artist that has ever been. Um, and this is where they talk about this in a second, but we'll wait on that. Just <laughs> abdicated whatever responsibility they had imposed on them for being rock um, and just decided, nope, we're doing whatever it is that moves us from album to album. Um it's an incredible break in what music and what rock music is doing and what's expected and what Radiohead even is. Uh, Stephen Hyden, who has been invoked a few other times on the podcast recently, wrote a book about Kid A. So um, if you want a lot more about just the, the context of that album, its legacy, its influence, um, Hyden's writing largely focuses around um, how Kid A presages the 21st century. Um, and it comes out very early in it, um, obviously. So there's a lot on this album. Go read uh, people who've done a lot more research on it than I. Um, but I'm just shocked it's the 33rd for all of the fawning over this album, deservedly so, that somewhere like Spin puts it 33rd. It just, like, it still baffles me. I'd have it higher. Obviously, um, I'm more like rather than insulted that it's not higher, just shocked that Spin has it this low. Like I figured, if anyone got up and got to uh, Radiohead high drinks, I mean, I guess it'll be Pitchfork, but I thought Spin was was a shoe in for that too. Um, this is the second episode in what three, I think, or so, where I've done this thing where I don't have any notes. Um, so maybe this is a new normal for me, but I think more this is just, you know, Weezer, what I said was I didn't know what to say and then proceeded to talk for like 30 minutes. <laughs> but like, there's not a, like, there's not a satisfying narrative you can put to Weezer. Like that's sort of the narrative about Weezer itself. Like they're just confusing as hell. Um, Kid A, I think it's just, there's so much on it. It's like, what am I going to tell you? It's another great Radiohead album. Um, it's where, you know, they decided, no, we're not going to be the rock that everyone expects. And we're going to be just as much an electronic and like Krautrock and jazz band if we want. Like, this is where they totally expand their own horizons. And uh, put out an album that for as philosophical and angsty as OK Computer is. This one just seems utterly uh, dyspeptic at points and yet very nuanced and keen about 
the damaging effects of technology in particular and the isolation um, that was happening in 2000 already and would happen even more as the century progresses. Um, it's kid A, man. That's about what I got. So what we've done here instead, and by we, I mean me, but Tim is, has been privy to this activity, if not exactly how it shakes out. Um, I'm just going to, yeah, Tim. I'm prepared. Now, oh, do you have your own? I, I'm, I mean, it's a, it's a strong, <laughs> hold on. Let's, let's take back the word prepared, but I, I, I can share, I think is what I'm going to say. I'm not prepared to like expound, but I am, I am prepared to compare perhaps is a better way to put that. All right. Prepared to compare. So, uh, Tim and I were chatting last night, which means nothing to you while you're listening to this, but, but the night before recording this, um, Maybe I should put this on the Twitter. I think I will later. I should say the night or a couple of days before recording this one, uh, Shock G unfortunately passed away. If you don't remember Shock G, he was the leader of Digital Underground way back in the early days of the, the Subtitles podcast. Uh, yeah, episode two. Uh, did not expect him to die before we finished this. Um, so that was sad, so maybe go back and revisit your digital underground too, um, because that totally fits with Kid A. Um, so we were chatting and and decided, you know, let's just rank some songs. They're depending on what depending on what listing of the album you find, you know, if you have the actual CD, it's probably just gonna say ten songs, and then there's a hidden like one minute instrumental buried into the last song. Um, if you check out on Spotify. It actually lists 11 different tracks. Um, so before you fight me on how many tracks are actually on this album, just know that it is listed differently. There is a, a uh, you know, in 2000, what would have been a hidden little instrumental. Um, I, we're excluding that. It's like, it's very lovely. I think it's the perfect way to end the album, but it's like 50 seconds long. So uh, we're just eliminating that. And then we have 10 songs to mess around with. Um, gone through and ranked them, and we'll do this relatively quickly, hopefully. Um, otherwise, I could easily spin this episode into two hours anyway. You'll see why later. Um, but we we have our top ten, and I think we'll just compare here. Uh, Tim, I'll just drop my back five on you mm -hmm. and kind of see what happens. You can talk about any that you want. Um, I will do mild reasoning but probably not much for these ones so number 10 is tree fingers which i feel bad about honestly but it's the only one without vocals and on an album where normally that's not a like discredit for me at all like an instrumental could easily be higher and i really like tree fingers like it's a great listen but on an album where the vocals are so much part of the space and so important to it um that just sort of knocked it back a bit for me. So I have Tree Fingers 10, the title track, Kid A, 9th, which is probably the highest variance song. Like, depending on what day I listen to it, that could go up to, like, 5th, maybe. Um, but right now it's at 9th, so that, like, that seemed important to me that just, depending on the day, like, I react to this one a little bit differently. It's still a good song. There's no bad songs on this album. I probably should have started with that, so ranking these was hard. Um... But because that one is so high variance for me, I have that ninth, eighth, I have Morning Bell, which I think if I remember, 
at all correctly, which I probably don't. I think Morning Bell is probably the highest variance if you just go look at rankings across the internet. Um, I think some people have the song very high, other people have it, um, you know, not very low in like the canon of Radiohead, but lower somewhere around like where I do. Um, it's a nice track. It just doesn't move me in quite the same way as some of the other ones. Um, number seven. This one I do feel bad about, um, and it's How to Disappear Completely. And I feel bad about this one because of what it does at, like, the 450 mark, where it just absolutely takes off and is, like, at that point, a proto version of one of my favorite Radiohead songs, Reckoner, which would come out on um, in Rainbows. Um, so absolutely gorgeous and stunning for that last like minute 30 and it's really good before that too but like maybe this is one where like the end of the build to me is just so much more moving that it like casts the beginning of it a bit differently um this is also the one you know i'm not here this isn't happening lines like that Haydn's book is named after a lyric in this one um and, you know, this is sort of the key lyric, uh, lyrical song on the album, I think. It's sort of the, the keystone or the cog in that way. Um, and it sounds very properly ethereal and ghostly and like you are disappearing completely. Like stuff is just shuffling around you. Um, so I don't know why this is seventh. It just sort of shook out that way, but here we are. Um, six is optimistic for me, which is the one that probably would have fit best if it were on an OK Computer. Um, so it's rather than just the total radical break that a lot of the album is, this one you hear shades of like uh, that, right? The Radiohead, if they had gone hard rock or if they had kept some of that, uh, more edgy, jangly sound to them. Optimistic sort of builds on that. Um, that's my bottom five, Tim. Any thoughts on that one? Or songs that you think I have dramatically underranked? All right, well, I'm going to start with where we are on the same page. Uh, we both have Kid A9, and I was a little worried for my own, like, you know, how cool I would be on the interwebs uh, when I when I put that there, but I was... I don't know, seeing you with the exact same thing, I'm like, all right, we can we can at least uh, stem that tie together. Um, you you have my number 10 at at five, or six, rather, with Optimistic. That one just, like, do, doesn't do it for me all that much, or just compared to the rest of the album, at least. Like, I think there might even be... There might even be kind of a gap between, like, Kid A and Optimistic for me. Uh, I have Tree Fingers fourth. I just really love the music. I love the instrumental thing. So I, again, I I understand the reasoning. Just like for me, the the music itself just works. Um, and how to disappear? I think. What did you say? Did you have it? You have it seventh. I have it sixth. I mean, I feel bad about it too. Is is basically where I am. Uh, and I I will also report back that when we are, when you have said all of them. For you, I will come out and, and say where the averages are, and we can we can count that down as well. I will math in the, in the meantime. Uh, oh, our classic averages strategy. I love this. Um, <clears throat> you also didn't mention Morning Bell, so real, real curious where this one's about to show up. Um, fifth? Fifth. Oh, okay. It's, it's um, I thought we were about to have, like, you have it second, I have it eighth type <laughs> thing happening. Um, 
All right, so uh, five and four, we'll do that um, because build. Number five is maybe the one I had the hardest time placing. Um, it was both higher and lower at different points, um, and it's in limbo. And I think like this one just grooves differently than all the other songs on the album. Um, and like, I think you can kind of hear in this one where they would go after this, particularly with like "Hail to the Thief." Um, there's sort of a jazzy funkiness to it, um, but like everything else on the song, there's also this like just deeply unsettling and like ethereal quality to it. Um, so that, that like that was the one that moved the most for me, I think, as I was writing these down and erasing. Um, so it ended up right directly in the middle. And number four, one that I am hopelessly attached to, and like, I think normies, shall we say, like respond to the song and like the real Radiohead dorks do not. Um, I consider myself a Radiohead dork, but I still really respond to this song and it's motion picture soundtrack. Uh, I'm a sucker for if you just put Tom York and like just let him falsetto out beautifully and just put an organ behind that. Um, this is a song that could have ended up on the Benz. I think he wrote it around the time of the Benz. Um, and then it became something different because of where they were instrumentally during the recording of this album. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just a sucker for this one. It's probably the simplest song on the whole thing, but like, it just does something for me. <laughs> so, nothing nothing too wild there for me. I have motion picture, like, seventh. Um, for me, the uh, the four through seven is honestly, like, sort of like you were saying with, like, erasing things. Like, you could just, like, erase all of it and put it wherever. Like, four through seven for me is definitely, like... Depending on the day, I could see myself going somewhere else. Um, in Limbo, I had 8th, though I still think that it would be, like, above Kid A for me. Like, I think 8th is sort of the absolute low point for me. Um, but this does mean that our top three are going to be real boring, and I'm interested to see if we can we can finagle one of those dumb ties we always seem to find. I'm curious if these are going to be like in the same order. It'd be funniest if they were just straight up reversed. That'd be <laughs> three-way tie. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess it's just the basic sad white boy in me. But motion picture soundtrack, just like that, comes at the end of the album. I'm like, oh, yes. Um, anyway, number three. Let's do these one by one. Number three. I don't know, man. It was number one in the original draft of this, and then that felt wrong, and then it felt wrong having it at number three, and I don't know what to do with it, but it's National Anthem. <laughs> Here, you got that one. I've got National Anthem second. Just the, the pure the pure audacity on that thing, how incredibly funky it gets, how atonal it gets sometimes, and just how it absolutely never loses control of it. If any other band did it, I think I'd hate it. But it was just, it was so good. Like, it, it's still so good. It just absolutely works for me. It grooves so hard. And it's so out of place on the album if it were a different <laughs> band. But, like, somehow it makes perfect sense because, like, this is the album and this is the band. Um, the horns delight me every time. <laughs> They're so out of step with everything's happening that it's perfect. Um, 
so yeah, if you're curious, like if you're a novice to this album, National Anthem is the, the one that rocks. Um, <laughs> and it rocks pretty hard, but it rocks pretty atonal. Um, uh, but it, it is probably second in terms of like actual danceability on this album, which is not something you think about a lot, but like this is a band that can groove. Um, that's going to be important later. We'll come back to that. Uh, number two, I have everything in its right place. Number three for me. So we were, we were bound to have a tie, but there's, I don't know. There's a right answer for number one, as far as I'm concerned, not to, not to pass over everything in its right place, which is an, absolutely incredible track and an incredible opener the right choice to open this album um i like i wish i could have heard it in like in real time um after having been familiar with okay computer uh and just like the plinking at the beginning of that and knowing that just okay they're on some totally new bullshit now like this is not what this is not how OK Computer went. This is not how the Benz or Pablo Honey went. Like they're on a different game now. Um, it's just a perfectly haunting and kind of hollow song. Hollow, like spiritually, not hollow in terms of the production or the the playing or anything. Like um, incredible opener, perfect opener for for the album. Great song in its own right. But this is a world where Idiotech exists, and Idiotech does everything Radiohead has ever done in one song, and that's I guess my pull quote for it. Um, but we have a consensus number one. I don't know that I expected that, but that's kind of fun. Um, anything, any love you want to throw at uh, Idiotech though? Um, oh, I don't know, just that I think it's basically perfect, <laughs> like, it's kind of in the running for the best song I've ever heard, like, is that, is that too much? Maybe that's too much, I don't know, but for me, that's in the running for the best song I've ever heard. No, I don't think it's too much, I think it begs the question, what's better, Idiotech or Paranoid Android? I think it's Idiotech, like, I, like... If you asked me this with like any other song from some other album, it would be, it would just be incredibly hard to say no to that. And speaking as someone who really loves Paranoid Android and as somebody who hopefully, I can't remember this far back, but hopefully on episode six, I was like waxing rhapsodic about it. Like this is still a relatively simple question for me to answer. Um, and I don't know, I, maybe, maybe this makes me makes me predictable and sad, or maybe it makes me a total idiot, but, like, I only can hear what I hear, man. So, if I remember correctly, I think Idiotech and everything in its right place are generally, like, one or the other is the top-ranked Kid A song, if you look at, like, just ranking of Radiohead songs in general. Um, I think, depending on the publication those two can kind of flip, but I think it's usually one of those two, maybe national anthem sneaks up. Um, like I said, morning bell gets some weird love in some, but it's generally one of those two. To me, it's, it's idiotech. It's just so much is happening in there and it's, uh, just done so perfectly. Um, I think this maybe suggests that the decile is going to be like the top 10 Radiohead songs or some shit. Um, so anyway, that's our jaunt through Kid A. Tim has averages, I think, though. Actually, I'm curious how like <laughs> different this looks from my own list. 
Yeah, it's not it's not that different. I think the thing that's interesting is how tight the middle is, which I think both of us have sort of alluded to. So Idiotech one with a bullet, uh, tie it two for everything in its right place in national anthem, uh, motion picture soundtrack in in fourth, um, and then there's a three way tie for fifth. Uh, with six and a half points each for How to Disappear in Limbo and Morning Bell. Um, Tree Fingers comes in at eighth, Optimistic at ninth, and then Kid A, um, the only other one we agree on, comes in tenth. So I guess I guess there's some, some nice uh, palindromic symmetry right there. I, I wrote all those next to where I had all of mine, and honestly... Like optimistic would have to drop, but otherwise I basically had those in order of where the averages come out, so that's fun. Um, yeah, we got number one and number nine, so <laughs> in the same place. Um, everything in its right place, as it were. Yeah, Kid A. We, we, <laughs> we've done the thing. We have Radiohead content now. Maybe there's a hot take in here. There's not. Um <laughs> Go listen to Kid A. That's my review. Um, the theme for today. There's an obsession among music critics. Surprise, surprise. There are a lot of those. One of them is the the next Radiohead. And that's going to be our theme for today. Uh, this seemingly pathological need to, to label bands, British bands, usually, understandably, the next Radiohead, the next big thing in in guitar music, which when you listen to Kid A is sort of funny on its own. Um, and that's part of, I think, the theme here. There's a sort of anachronism of what we even mean by that, because it would be particularly big very late 90s into the early 2000s of a lot of British bands like, oh, they're trying to do Radiohead. Um, my question is always, which Radiohead do you mean? Because the first four albums are all very different, and those are the ones we're looking at, um, if we're thinking of that historical moment. Um, and I think that's part of what makes this topic interesting, though, for today, is that we can look at different versions of Radiohead, different albums, and try and suss out, okay, which uh, version are these bands trying to do? If they are the next Radiohead, which version of Radiohead are they playing with? I think it speaks to a different need, though, and it's part of what I mentioned earlier, that with Kid A, Radiohead basically forcefully uh, and obstinately uh, abdicates their guitar rock throne. Like, they don't want to move forward in the same way of, like, the Rolling Stones or the Beatles or pick your best rock band at whatever historical moment you want. Um as, as, as experimental as all of those bands were and could be and tried to get, Beatles especially, um, they all stayed firmly rooted in the guitar for the most part. And on Kid A, Radiohead is just totally breaking with that. And that's part of what makes it so magnificent as an achievement um, and makes, I think, the need for the next Radiohead so uh, so driving for a lot of people that like they re they feel really invested in rock music, guitar rock music, and really want that to go forward and really want that to have a torchbearer. Um, and I understand that. 
I, you know, I'm not far from being that pathological about it. I don't think there needs to be a next Radiohead. I think we disservice a lot of bands if we try and call them that. But I understand the want for like, okay, we just want our torchbearer for this type of music. It's really important to us. It's done a lot for us. Someone needs to take this forward. Um, so I think that's probably at a lot of the discussion of who the next Radiohead is, particularly in this moment. I think now we kind of realize, well, there is only one Radiohead, and like we probably shouldn't say that other bands are going to be them, because that's a level of artistry that most just can't achieve. But I think that speaks to why we want a next. So we're going to look at two bands that were labeled as such for whatever reasons. I'm not going to try and totally dig into what exactly made them a next Radiohead candidate, um, because sometimes those reasons are inscrutable to me. But I will look at them in terms of what version of Radiohead are maybe they playing with and taking forward, and, and what about these albums would make critics say, oh, okay, they're doing something fun and Radiohead-esque that's really worthy of watching and paying attention to. So not trying to make this the albatross around the neck, uh, or the millstone around the neck of these bands, but... Uh, really attending to why would they have filled that void that a lot of people wanted like this is the rock band that will carry us forward and not one that will make this electronic statement and become something totally different so we're going to look at travis and we're going to look at muse everyone get excited for my three hours of waxing about muse i'm really going to try and behave here we'll start with travis and their 1999 album the man who and there's a fun connection to Radiohead for both of these albums, and it involves who's doing the producing, and uh, we'll get into why it's even funnier after we introduce Muse. Uh, but for Travis and the man who, this is Nigel Goodrich, uh, who was the producer of OK Computer, and now is producing the man who, which is not OK Computer. If it is a Radiohead album, it's drawing from the bends. It's drawing from... Tim, do you remember the old Spongebob Radiohead album? Like, I don't think it was TikTok, but basically TikTok-sized thing. What? No, you don't. Uh, there was a, it was a little video. <laughs> I should post it when I post these. Um, everyone go find it, though. It's um, each Radiohead album described by, like, two seconds from, uh, two, like, a two-second Spongebob clip. It's hilarious. It's perfect. Um, but anyway, the, the one for the Benz is when SpongeBob is doing the campfire song. That's kind of what hap is happening on that album. Tim is giving me the funniest look right now, and he just needs to watch this thing and know that he did see it like three years ago, <laughs> because I guarantee I sent it. Um, <laughs> anywho, the Benz is a much more chill, uh, like in terms of vibes, so the Benz is a much more chill album, a lot of more acoustic tunes, and in so much as Radiohead is like just kind of jamming around the campfire, like that's that's the album for it. Um, it's one that regularly got put as Britpop, so you can think about it in those terms too, and that, and that's sort of what Travis is building from. So that long <laughs> preface to say that the man who, if it's responding to any Radiohead, it's not the experimentation of OK Computer. It's not the just like straight alt-rock of Pablo Honey, but it is this more <clears throat> chill and kind of open and more relaxed, in a way, stuff that's on the bends. Um, and chill is 
particularly important here as a word because not only in terms of the vibes, but you know, Nigel Goodrich having produced Oka Computer got very good, I think, at creating these very cold tones, um, at creating these very icy sort of production spaces. And that's very much true of The Man Who, and it's it's a really interesting combination because you take those and put them with just the general warmth of the songwriting. Like These are types of songs that would tend to be produced much more uh, warmly, much more softly, um, maybe with a bit more reverb, like just a, a, a more welcoming sound perhaps, but they're, they're put in a bit of an icy landscape, um, in, a, in a cool landscape maybe. And it's a, it's a very interesting combination throughout. Um, and just thinking about chillness in both of those ways, it does seem like something, well, you know, if you really break these down to their bare parts, the man who is not exactly complicated songs necessarily, or they're not experimental, really. Um, but there's something about how they're recorded. There's something about the production trick. There's something about these very small, nuanced combinations that make this a really interesting and kind of not challenging but thought-provoking album perhaps um which to me is is something radiohead can do very well like not all of their songs are as you know out there as sort of a national anthem or a paranoid androids like they're not all taking on so much as those sometimes you know like motion picture soundtrack like I was saying earlier a very simple song but recorded very elegantly recorded in a particular way that it becomes more affecting and more of a statement. I think throughout The Man Who, we have a similar thing going on where they're really able to play with songs that we're familiar with or types of songs that we're familiar with. And I think that's important to why they are part of why they were seen as the next Radiohead um, because they are doing a type of soft rock, really soft guitar rock, acoustic guitar rock that actually really invests in solos. There's some great solos across this thing. Um, and it, that invests in fairly typical song structure. And a lot of people could look at that in 99 and be like, Ooh, that's exciting. And that's something that I'm familiar with too. And like, they're taking it in a new direction. Um, <clears throat> so I think in that way, I can understand how Travis did fill a void for maybe someone who really loved the bends. Um, and wanted to see more of that. And now in 99, it's like, oh, maybe this is the moment, finally. Um, and I think what's interesting about both Travis and Muse when we get to them is, and a lot of the next Radiohead bands, I think you can hear them in their moment and look back now and say, okay, The Man Who in 99, uh, that's going to be a reference point for a lot of bands that come out in like the mid-2000s. So think of like, Keen, or even Coldplay. Coldplay draws from Travis a lot. Um, uh, maybe throw the fray in there. Like a lot of those kind of softer rock bands that can really do anthems when they want to, um, that are playing, you know, not with the harsh tones that Radiohead are, but are playing um, with kind of softer, warmer types of songs, um, and putting those together in fun ways and. I mentioned Keen and Coldplay first. They both have kind of an experimental edge to them. Maybe the decile needs to be me defending Coldplay. I think people still need that. Um, but like they can get tricky with production and just like what elements they're drawing in on their own. And Travis is definitely doing that earlier on. Um, but all of that to say, like I think that sort of 
right? The, the soft rock element of the man who, um, that's still firmly rooted in you know, this type of classic rock guitar structure that we know, um, is really, a, basically I'm saying, I think Travis came along a few years too early for their own good. Now the man who was still very successful in 99 sold millions and millions of copies. Um, but they sort of petered out after this one. I think another thing that Travis really does get from Radiohead is the importance of bass and not the importance of bass histrionics necessarily, <laughs> Muse, um, but the importance of groove. Uh, I think that's a word, or just funk. Uh, like that's a word Tim and I used a few times with Kid A, which may seem like a weird album to use that with. Um, you know, <clears throat> Colin Greenwood, the forgotten Greenwood, <laughs> is, is a great bassist and sets really interesting and vital spaces for Radiohead songs. And so Travis, like the bass on these is not particularly like, you know, world conquering bass lines, like the insanely hard stuff that you try when you're learning just to say that you know it. Um, but it, it, they're lines that are, are mixed up, like they're put up in the mixing. Um, there's a, a warmth and uh, just kind of, the word I want here, like bounciness to them, really. Um, like they come through the headphones in particular in a really nice way. Um, <clears throat> and the songs can can fit around those, can follow that groove. Like I think they understand that portion that Radiohead does understand, that like you need that kind of anchoring bit. Um, you need that sort of groove to, to then build upon that with these more interesting flourishes. Talking about just a few of the songs, uh, a bit more specifically... Uh, we open with Writing to Reach You, which has, uh, you know, I, I mentioned bass right before that because I think you hear that immediately in Writing to Reach You, and that's, like, that's the thing that you latch onto as a listener. Like, you can follow that and everything else happens around it. So it has this very lulling bass line to it. Um, some, some twinkly electronics throughout, um, mostly on the guitar, um, sort of arpeggioed stuff, and then a very folky acoustic just kind of strumming that carries us through um and <clears throat> a, a lovely falsetto um another point of reference to radiohead and this is maybe the biggest one that just like the singers kind of sound vaguely like tom york if he decided to you know occupy one pole or the other um but fran healy the singer of travis has a has a beautiful voice um it's a very lovely falsetto and you hear that immediately in writing to reach you and Right, so that becomes a point of reference, but also is just a very pleasant part of the song. And I think that's a lot of what's happening on The Man Who. It's very pleasant. It's very humble, really, in a way. It's very earnest um, without being treacly. It's right, just a not soft rock in terms of, uh, or to mean like yacht rock. Um, I should have clarified that earlier, but just softer rock um, that is still playful in its own way, um, but working a bit down from the... You know, like the guitar uh, jamming and not jamming, like literal jamming of the guitar and creep that we all know or just whatever is happening across OK Computer where, you know, Johnny Greenwood is fighting his guitar. Um, they're playful with tones more than anything. The Fear has a little moment in it that I really like in that can be another connection to Radiohead, perhaps, particularly the Radiohead that would come after this moment. Um, but there's this little, like, verve, little groove section in the bridge that, that drops into a minor key 
as the sort of like softer, folkier thing is happening over top of it. And I think that's something that Radiohead does really well later on. But we see that here in Travis in 1999. Um, and that's a moment that I'm always kind of a sucker for. Like just this, again, this fun combo of, you know, here's this pretty typical like major tune, but there's this little like minor unsettling of it, whether that's the icy production or whether that's this like... <clears throat> not malicious but a bit more suspect in tone kind of groove or sound or verve that's happening underneath a lot of everything else there's a moment where healy on as you are lets out this just grand howl and that's totally a tom york moment if you're looking for more connections but that song in general uh his voice most of the guitar work is lighter and sort of bluesier um i think there's more investment in that Kind of blues rock lineage uh, a lot of slide guitar across this thing which makes <clears throat> for really interesting tones um and just kind of that that noodling in a way um like a willingness to kind of just play around with the guitar as it is um not to try and break it or make it sound like something different um but just to kind of noodle up the fretboard or like run your slide and just kind of like that classic blues thing of just like you're feeling through the sounds of this thing um and it, it's a it makes for a much gentler more meandering affair um but as i mentioned earlier this is also a band that can really dig into a solo and as you are is a great example of that so you have this more gentle this gentler time throughout this more kind of meandering sitting around the campfire type vibe but then they just kind of launch into the solo, but it feels like this outpouring of feeling at the moment, um, or like an outpouring of emotion. Um, and I think that's something that Travis does very well. And it's why they feel so kind of humble and earnest across the thing. Like, um, the emotions seem genuine throughout this. Like they are just feeling through these songs. Um, Driftwood has some like brushed drums on it, very quick strums and even cool, more cool production space. Um, with again a kind of blues guitar line um so i think that like bluesy aspect to them blue if you want to read that as sad if you want to read that as the genre the the, the musical genre itself um if you want to read that as kind of the feeling of the guitars the production as a blue cool icy space um i think that's something that becomes evident and important across the man who um and these are a lot of songs about love depression just feeling being in your 20s and just existing all of those feelings that we have um you know there's there's no like huge concept here um there's no let me diagnose the ills of the century of the decade of whatever it is um it's just dude's rock in its own way um a softer version of what we understand as dude rock dude's rock now but um it just like it's it's dudes who seem like a good hang, just kind of vibing, um, but doing so in, I think, really interesting and subtly uh, progressive ways. Um, you know, th this is an album that still holds up, I think. Like, it was really nice to listen to yesterday. I hadn't listened to it in a while, um, but you can, just, you can kind of just get lost in it, and it holds up a lot better than perhaps those reference points that I mentioned that would come in, like, the mid-2000s. Um, as indebted as I am to, like, Coldplay and Keen, there's a lot of other bands of that ilk that just don't hold up, besides maybe a song or two. Um, but The Man Who, you can put back on, and, like, it's it's a good hang. Um, it's, it's fun to listen to. 
Um, and it's fun to dig into in this way because it's, it's subtly progressive in a way that Muse is not going to be, we'll, but we'll get to them in a second. Um, the biggest song on here is Why Does It Always Rain On Me? And there's a fun story about them playing a festival where it rained on them as they played the song and stopped right after they finished the song. <laughs> um, and you know, I've been talking about the, the like sly influence of Travis this whole time, but you can listen to Why Does It Always Rain On Me and just hear the birth of not only the bands I've mentioned, but also stuff like Sarah Bareilles or Colby Calais or, you know, kind of pop artists taking on a, a softer rock side, um, that kind of genre of artist as well. Um, and I think another very small but fun moment in this song is there's a slight echo on the vocals, which gives it this very airy and kind of windblown, windswept vibe. Um, and like the coolness of the production, the, the iciness in places, um, it's just another fun little trick, a fun little addition that very slightly complicates uh, what would otherwise be a very run-of-the-mill kind of tune. Um, but there's something about tone that Travis and that, that Goodrich get very much. Um, and that I think, you know, if anything stems from Radiohead, it could be some of that. But they are doing their own thing here. So... Um, Anything, any, I guess, questions you have about the man who, or anything you want to say about Travis, Tim? So, while in the in the first like couple minutes of you discussing this, I went on one of those fun rabbit hole things that that we do, and I learned about something called the Brit Awards, uh, which are given out by the British phonographic industry, and are I don't know, are kind of like a like the BAFTAs to our Oscars, I guess. The the Brits are to the Grammys. And I, I had no idea, but I was I was just sort of looking through and apparently uh, the man who was one of their one of the album of the year award winners. Um, they they broke up a a stretch of two and three years for Manic Street Preachers. And this this is a bizarre award show. I kind of don't know who it's for. Um just to give more context, the year that they won for was the second year in a row, soon to be third year in a row, that the British single of the year would go to Robbie Williams. So just a, a very interesting, <laughs> a very interesting group. Um, but I, I did find out, as someone who enjoys, you know, finding out about award shows from other countries and other parts of the world, that this was one of their ten albums of the year nominated as their their best album of the past 30 years um and and hopes and fears is on there and that's that sort of stuck with me and uh a rush of blood to the head is also on there which sort of vindicates you further coldplay has won this award three times incidentally as far as i can tell um but they did not they did not win the the overall prize that went to oasis for what's the story morning glory and According to this this enemy uh, report that I'm reading, uh, Liam got the award. He he was there to accept the award and gave a very short speech in which he thanked everyone in the band except for Noel and then threw the award into the audience where they had to try to retrieve it from somebody who didn't really want to give it back. Um, so none of this is necessary <laughs> none of this is necessarily about this. Except I did, I did bring this up honestly because I there are two things that stood out. One, 
Um, I, I feel like I remember your affection for Jack Whitehall, and apparently that's his gig now, is is hosting the Brit Awards. I think he's about to go on four years in a row. And and second of all, just to sort of go with this, the influence thing is really interesting to me, uh, to bring this back to what you were actually talking about. This idea that, like, if you're supposed to be the next somebody, then you took the influence from the last somebody, and then you're you're going to be the one who sort of, like, carries that on. So the idea of, like, you can hear Travis and Keen, or you can hear Travis and Coldplay. I find I find very very compelling. Uh, the same way that the same way that you see Michael Jordan and Kobe, and then of course everybody in the league right now grew up watching Kobe and wanted to be him growing up, and now they're all trying. So that that stuck out, and I thought that was really interesting. As tempted as I am to the Brit, the Brit Awards are fun because the British music rock press in particular is just way more interesting than the American press, um, or, or who who is uh, I should say the press that's running the Grammys anyway. Um, I was tempted to guess which Coldplay albums. I do have guesses. If you still have that up. Yeah, yeah. All right, so Rush of Blood to the Head, which mm-hmm. is the best Coldplay album. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Viva La Vida. Ah, I lose on the second. They got, they got bored of Coldplay by then. So it's Parachutes and X and Y? Yep. All right. I didn't expect X and Y to get it, but respect. Um, yeah. What year is Viva La Vida again? Uh, 2007 or 8? 7, I think. Okay, so if, if I'm reading this right, then... Then Viva La Vida got caught up by a two-year run for Arctic Monkeys between whatever people say I am and favorite worst nightmare. Um, I couldn't remember if it was if it's two thousand eight. Then there is a strong chance that that it was beaten by Rock Fairy by Duffy. Two things I don't I don't know anything about, and a, an album that was up for their for their overall best of the past thirty years thing. I I don't under I don't know who Duffy is. Let's I'm just I'm just gonna put that out there. So Viva La Vida was 2008. I was wrong. Um, okay, well, you're right. I was half right, and apparently it lost to Duffy then, which I haven't thought about Duffy since maybe 2008. <laughs> um, so I couldn't honestly tell you much about them anymore. Um, that seems wrong, but okay. I, w- I would respect if it lost to the Arctic Monkeys run because I love both of those albums. But yeah. Okay, so the Duffy year, and this is this is their 2008 year of 2009 ceremony. Duffy for Rock Fairy, Coldplay for for Viva La Vida, Elbow for the Seldom Seen Kid, Radiohead for In Rainbows. Radiohead has not won any of these, and the Ting Tings for We Started Nothing. The Ting Ting. I forgot about the. T- I love the Ting Tings. <laughs> this is an interesting group. <laughs> More specifically, I love "Shut Up and Let Me Go," but go Ting Tings. Um, so, welcome everyone to your brief uh, introduction to the Brit Awards. They're hilarious. Go check them more. Um, so, I was going to say two things and then transition. Keep those. Keep that up because I'm going to ask you a question about them um, as a transition. But first, I was going to say, I think I undersold. I know I mentioned it, but I, I probably should have mentioned it more, that this was a very successful album. Um, it sold a lot. It, it was very well regarded and awarded. Um, 
well-reviewed in general. So, like, the man who had success, Travis had a lot of success in this late 90s moment. Um, I think there's a lot of... Um, right, 9-11 affected a lot of music, a lot of bands. I think in particular it, it uh, knocked out Travis a bit. Um, I think something else that happened, too, is... And this was the second thing I wanted to mention. Travis also comes along in a very interesting moment. Um, you know, Radiohead's doing whatever the hell they want. Grunge is dead at this point um or at least like the original the og grunge bands um uh the garage rock revival thing is in its very nascent stages not yet having taken over the world but that's going to happen as well and i think another thing that affects travis's success um at, like the big things right now are new metal and um, kind of a popular version of alt-rock. And Travis, I think, very much occupies this sort of different space of people who don't want either of those things, which either feel too commercial or too, uh, we'll say young and be generous. Um, and <clears throat> like Travis is this kind of more serious um, and just sort of uh, less aggressive, less harsh alternative um, that really is... You know, were they ever a standard bearer? I don't know. I don't want to hang that on them, but they kind of were in a way for like, this is the kind of rock music that we want to go forward. And I think you would hear that later on um, as we just sort of went through with the awards there. Um, delighted to be validated in my Coldplay and, and Keen um, <laughs> hyping. <laughs> go revisit them. If you think you hate them, you're probably wrong or you got wrapped up in the wrong press and blah, blah, blah. Um <clears throat> By means of transition, has Muse ever won slash been nominated for this? So, so Muse has not won. Um, I I know I saw that. Um, ab I think I think both Absolution and Black Holes and Revelations were both nominated. I'm actually going to get back to you on that real quick. Uh, I do not think that the the album that we are sitting here talking about. Um, I do not think that that one was nominated, but I will I will check real quick. No. Yeah. That was very quick. <laughs> so okay, so Absolution and uh, Black Holes were nominated. That ma that makes a certain amount of sense. Um, I'm, I do want to mention while we're sitting in this wormhole, and while I do have this page open, so the 2006 one. So whatever people say, that's what I'm not. Uh, Black Holes and Revelations nominated, Lily Allen's All Right Still nominated, Snow Patrol, Eyes Open nominated, and Amy Winehouse's Back to Black. But the one that really excites me is the one, uh, the 2004-05, so that's Hopes and Fears, that's Franz Ferdinand, that's Absolution, that's Final Straw, and that's The Streets, A Grand Don't Come for Free. I gotta tell you, that 2004 one is really speaking to 13-year-old me in a way that I don't know what to do with. So Franz Ferdinand is an album we will absolutely get to later in this series. I think it's actually pretty late on. Um, trying to think. Arctic Monkeys will get to. Back in Black will get to. <laughs> a lot of those are going to show up in your subtitles future, good fans. Um Exciting moment for music there. Also, how did I not mention Snow Patrol earlier? That's <laughs> one of the things. Um, I think Snow Patrol is having a, a fun little, like, not renaissance, but, like, 
reevaluation moment. Oh. Like I think people are are more f- uh, sympathetic to Snow Patrol now. Not necessarily like championing Snow Patrol, but like yeah, there was some stuff there. Um, which again is just to say, go back and listen to this like softer rock stuff from the mid two thousands. It's better than you remember or were lied to about in the in real time. Um, <clears throat> Muse. We're going to talk about Origin of Symmetry. Not nominated for a Brit Award, which is wrong um what was nominated for that so this came out in 2001 um i'm I'm making tim be my research lackey here it's like he's a grad student too (laughs) okay so i was i was just looking at this um so dido won that year for no angel um travis was up for the invisible band radiohead was up for kid a uh craig david was up for born to do it and the self-titled debut album of Gorillaz was up for this year as well. Interesting group. Wait, was that the right year, though? As I look at this, um, Born Born to Do It is up twice, and so is Radiohead. So either Wikipedia is lying to me, or they somehow managed to nominate slash not award Born to Do It and Kid A two years in a row. No, I, not that I, so the Muse album comes out in 2001. I guess I'm asking, what are the 2002? Yeah, that's what I'm looking yeah. at. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, I, there was just a couple 2000 albums on there and I was <laughs> confused. Um, don't mind me. Um, okay. That makes sense though. <laughs> Love for Dido. I like that too. Um, Origin of Symmetry, again, the 2001 Muse album, their second one um, after Showbiz in 1999. And Muse is, you probably know them. (laughs) Probably know them from Absolution and Black Holes and Revelations. You probably know them if you were a Twilight fan back in the day. And when, what was it, Starlight, I think, showed up on Twilight soundtrack. Um... I think that's the one, or I th- some some song did. Um, or you might remember them from Supermassive Black Hole. That was a big hit back in its day. Or if you were a rock band junkie like me, uh, you might remember them from. Uh, they had a few different songs on that one, and the bass lines were always just a, a ton of fun to work with on that. Um, the uh, the big one being Hysteria. Uh, I remember having a great time trying to play through that one. Um, anyway, this is a band that you probably know, and you probably then know that they are regularly clowned on when they drop something new, because um, this is a band that is much and very uh, passionate with somehow not falling into pretentiousness. Like, I never think of this band as pretentious. I think of them as, like, totally serious about their passion and totally in on the gag that they are silly at some level. Um, And somehow they they are all this muchness, they are this grandiosity embodied. Um, And yet somehow avoid this, like, pretentious or just... uh, they, they don't seem inscrutable in the way that the people that the dudes in Radiohead do. Um, like there's a certain, just like these seem like people, even if they're making some of the craziest crap out there. Um, 
So I don't. I guess all that to say, Muse is just kind of fun to dig into in that way, and like personally, like the total inverse. I guess not the total inverse, but definitely different from Radiohead. So it's interesting that they got um, stuffed into this as well. If they're building from a Radiohead album, it's not the Benz. It's definitely not the Benz. Um, it's mildly Pablo Honey and more OK Computer. Um, especially in this early moment of showbiz and origin of symmetry, which I was going to say this earlier, these two albums, I think when people are assessing Muse, like actually hold up the best now and probably, I think at the time got the best reviews too. And then they became more fun to clown on. Um, it is kind of fun in its way. Like they're, they're silly and also they're big enough that like, who cares if they get a, a 5.0 and something like, um, they're successful enough and they can tour and make a ton of money no matter what they do. I'm really interested in your face right now. So this sort of goes along with what you were saying. Um, but the quote from, from Matthew Bellamy about, about the title of this album, do you know this? Have you, you can shake or nod for me, but like the quote, everyone's been writing about the origin of life. So now they'll start looking at the origin of symmetry there's a certain amount of stability in the universe, and to find out where it originates from would be would be to find out if God exists. I feel like this is an, an incredible example of what you've been talking about. I love this band. <laughs> uh, so the album, I didn't know the like where the title came from specifically, but the album is more or less a concept album based on a uh, Mikio Kaku book, Hyperspace. Um, I don't expect really anyone to know that name offhand, but he's he's one of the talking heads that ends up on a lot of the like Discovery and Science Channel like documentary things about space in particular. Um, so if you if you find a picture of him, you might actually recognize his face. Um, so it's like they're working with that concept of of um, hyperspace in particular, and <laughs> apparently epistemology and metaphysics writ large. Um, I don't know if I see or like understand God after listening to Origin of Symmetry, but I do know that it is a maybe a little. Um, but I do know that it's a hell of a good time. <laughs> I can tell you that, and that it's a really uh, compelling argument for. Okay, what if Radiohead just decided that OK Computer was their thing and kept doing that? Um, to be clear, I don't think Origin of Symmetry is as. Um, uh, trying to think how to put this best. I, I don't think it's as radical in a way as what's happening on OK Computer. Like there's a certain level of just a certain level of detail, I suppose, um, or a certain level of just intricacy to OK Computer, um, a certain deliberateness as well. Um, I guess it's just more deconstructive in a, in a positivist way. Um, than Origin of Symmetry, which is more of a straightforward rock album. I maybe should have just said that at the beginning. Um, like, <laughs> that's the easier way to put that. Um, Muse is an arena rock band. Like, that's the thing. But the kind of the chunkiness of the guitars, the distortion, the fuzziness throughout, the um, hookiness in both senses, the, like, catchiness, but also, like, some of the riffs or just moments and songs are, like... They sound like, or they have the tonal quality of hooks, like they're very sharp and like dig in in a very um, abrupt way. Um, 
right? It's building from that lineage, but this is a band that can go out and play a giant ass stadium and rock to the rafters. Um, so it's like, okay, computer meets the Foo Fighters, I guess. Um, I never thought about the album like that before, but here we are. Uh, so I think on the one hand, you know, in 2001, if we're thinking of the next Radiohead, we hear Origin of Symmetry and think, ooh, if OK Computer had been the one that everyone invested in, this is what happens. Like, OK, Muse can take that forward. The high concept and the uh, really rigid um, yet compelling hard rock. And again, the falsetto. Uh, Matthew Bellamy's falsetto, which is very different from Fran Healy's falsetto and different from Tom York's falsetto in terms of how they are applied, I suppose, in the music. But you can hear resonances between all of them. Like you can hear the voices and think, okay, there's some similarity there. But, you know, Fran Healy's is very beautiful, very gentle, very um, susceptible, and I think a good way to the production tricks, to the mix. Um, it can kind of get lost and float through that. Um, Bellamy's is just a, a, a caterwaul, really. Um, done very well. Like, it's not abrasive. Um, but I've been trying to figure this out in my own notes. Because like, I think with this album in particular, but with Muse in general, you can see the word unhinged about them sometimes. It's a performative unhinged. Like, none of this music is literally, genuinely, actually unhinged. Um, but it does strive for uh, a level of like intent or just a level of blown upness that can sound unhinged. Like Matthew Bellamy can do a lot of things with his voice. Like it can move up and down pretty quickly. It reaches some pretty high registers. So it sounds like this overwhelming just outpour of everything. Um, but these are very well crafted songs. I think that's my point. Like it's not just them you know, going into the studio and whatever happens, happens. Um, but there is this kind of performative muchness or unhinged quality to how uh, blaring things can sound. All of that to kind of set up, like, if this is a Radiohead next candidate, um, I think that's what we're looking at. Like, that's where Muse is coming from. In their origin of symmetry moment, the key here is that, like, Radiohead, really, Muse is going to become a lot of different things as they go on. Absolution <clears throat> bridges between this and Black Holes and Revelations, which is a poppy album. Um, they're going to take that forward. They're going to work a lot more with electronics as they keep going. Um, Simulation Theory, their latest album, is like 80s indebted. Like there's a lot of synth stuff across that. Um, there's the right i think queen becomes a a regular comp for them as they go forward in terms of their like arena ambitions another band that we probably shouldn't hang around the neck of newer bands but you know queen comes up a lot um so right, this is a this is a band that's going to morph they're going to start doing something different too but origin of symmetry if we're thinking about it as a next candidate i think that's where it lives um, newborn our opening track has this very bubbling bass to it um, and Bellamy in general is just kind of <laughs> up in his register and all over the place and howling. Um, and it, it's actually really captivating throughout. Um, I remember my initial impressions of Muse when I first came to listening to them. I couldn't stand Bellamy's voice. It took me a long time to get into it. But now I can't imagine the band without it. Um, I think on Origin of Symmetry in, part in particular is where the 
that clicked for me that like oh okay that's that's part of this like that needs to be the case especially if we're talking about god apparently and proving proving his or her existence um and newborn in general is just very fuzzed out um there's a lot of kind of electronic current to it like that's not something that they're going to invest in totally yet at this point in their career Um, but you can hear kind of the beginnings of that there of them messing with that um like radiohead was on okay computer you could hear that electronic messing and that would become something different for them um but you can hear in this also just that they have clear arena ambitions um and it's you can hear those classic hard rock songs in them and the way that you can hear some of the classic folksier rock at Travis. Um, you can hear Muse kind of picking up that mantle and moving forward and think about them as, oh, yeah, that's the version of, of this thing that I want to live on and to go forward. Um, so they become, you know, a standard bearer for something slightly different, but also for guitar-based music again. Um, and I think, you know, you can kind of see how they might slot into that. Um yeah, I had this in my notes, but we already got to it. It's based on hyperspace and theoretical physics and uh, <laughs> theology. Um, so, you know, light stuff, light concepts, definitely uh, on the level with what the man who is working with. You know, I, I, I don't see much difference between uh, hyperspace and <laughs> why does it always rain on me? Um so, you know, where Travis sort of doubles down on the, like, humble dudes rock thing, Muse is doubling down on the massive sci-fi concept thing. And that's something that's never going to quite leave them. And it's something that like, can either turn you off or you're like me and find that oddly, not oddly, but, like, really endearing, that they're just going for it, man. And they realize it's silly in places, um, but it's also something that they're really indebted or invested in doing. And, like, cool, I respect that. Uh, Bliss has very twinkly pianos um, that are going to be much bigger later in their career. Um, the riffs on that are honestly put them more in line with like Oasis or some of the Britpop stuff. Like you can hear Muse building from that as well. Um, and some synths working around that too that you'd hear more in Radiohead, particularly going forward. So like Travis kind of bringing all these things together into this new thing that will become influential. Muse is kind of doing the same thing. Like you can hear a bunch of pieces in them that they fit together in a particular way. Um, that's going to become influential later. Um, Space Dementia, you know, as I track through this, you see more of an emphasis on the orchestral or on the classical um, or on Muse's predisposition for strings in particular um, and how they use those moments to work around what are these basically more straightforward arena rock moments that are very distorted very fuzzy like again there's a lot of production tricks on this one or a lot of production work Um, but you can hear the core kind of big classic rock song in them Um, space dementia goes goes in on this as an orchestral opening which sets it in this more floating space we kind of feel like we're more in space here space in the 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 outer space hyperspace sense um and as the album progresses yet the big beyond um you or the great beyond i guess was the episode if i'm making the pun um but you can hear us kind of float out into that and it's, it's really interesting because then you get these really hard um crunchy moments within that larger floating um 
so you know you can kind of imagine it like a sci-fi horror thing like you're just sort of aimlessly in space um and it's kind of beautiful in its grandeur and then you have these uh moments of dissonance and just angst and anger that that shoot through it and then kind of get lost in it again and then shoot back through it uh hyper music which i had to note opens with the same kind of like cranking and uh door closing sound that prison sex by tool does um i think tim if you listen to it later you'll (laughs) you'll you'll see that um but then totally fuzzes out and has like muffler dragging bass and low end on that thing. Uh, Plug in baby does this too, but you can hear the pop in that one and, and how they would kind of seamlessly move into pop music later on. Um, and citizen erased, I think is the, the moment that pulls all of this together. And that also pulls a lot of Radiohead influence in that there's the okay computer kind of influence running through all of this. We can hear bits of Pablo honey, that sort of more uh, grungy Brit Rocky thing. Um, and also hail to the thief, which would be later on, but that um, emphasis on space and on kind of light groove and on more classical elements, citizen erased has a bunch of different arrangement parts Um and it's, so it's an inter- it's interesting as an encapsulation of here's all of these influences that came together to make Muse. Here's all these things that Muse can do that they will do that they will do going forward, and and fit into this song. And Futurism is the last one I want to talk about here because Futurism is basic predicting I think a lot of mid two thousands radio rock. So as opposed to the softer rock that that Travis might be predicting. Um, Futurism is a lot of the harder stuff that is still popular. That is like if you actually turn into like a contemporary rock station, this is the stuff you will hear. Um, but that the the journalists and critics and, and you know coastal elites, if you want to do it that way, don't necessarily care about or think is uh, basically the butt rock lineage. Um, and I think part of that owes to another producer on this album. There's two main ones. I forgot to mention this at the beginning. Another Radiohead producer and John Leckie, um, who was the producer on The Bends. So the funny reverse I wanted to, or I referenced earlier, the dude from The Bends, which is more of a Travis album, is producing Muse. And the dude from OK Computer, which is more of a Muse album, is producing Travis. Um, I'm always fascinated by how that happens, but... But the, the other main producer on here is uh, Dave Botrell, who would go on to produce bands like Godsmack and Coheed and Cambria and, you know, fill in your own blanks from there. Uh, those bands have become big in the mid-2000s for harder rock, for something that kind of comes out of grunge, um, that does have some arena aspirations, that, you know, if you're a Coheed, has some proggier aspirations. Um you can hear all of these threads in Muse already, and that's actually going to become uh, bigger in that mid-2000s moment when Muse has a different type of success too, but bands that are kind of pulling out individual threads of that and working with them. Um, so much like The Man Who, I think you can see Origin of Symmetry is not like a major throttle point of people are constantly looking back at this and like, oh yeah, that really influenced me to make music. But I think you can hear a lot of the threads that are going to become really popular in a few more years, um, as Muse is moving on to something totally different then. Um, 
Botrill and just some other bands if you, if you need more Stone Sour he worked with so right you have kind of that uh, like hard rock coming out of new metal type thing Godsmack is basically trying to be a throwback classic rock band um, Coheed who subtitles loves very dearly and will probably show up at some point like right they're doing their own thing too but all of these are rooted in a kind of hard rock that muses as well on origin of symmetry um i've waxed enough anything you want to say about this album or or muse in general i am i'm kind of interested in this in this idea of sort of like radiohead they hit this pinnacle of a certain kind of guitar rock which I don't I feel like I feel like you've done a very good job of explaining some of the like the technical stuff but just as someone who has listened to Origin of Symmetry for a long time that one that one bangs I don't I don't know how else to put it like if if I can be the simplest version of this that one that one bangs that one slaps that one honks that one fucks like whatever you want to say about it that seems accurate and like it gets to this to this sort of like apex and then they start doing this very different stuff, and that's kind of the same idea um, that that we have with with Radiohead and OK Computer being like a cutoff point. I, I find that sort of symmetry sort of endearing in its own way, even if I real I really don't understand. And I'm not an expert in the early Muse stuff, but I really don't understand how you get those two together. That just does not from from this vantage point. It really makes no sense at all. I, I will absolutely give you this album bangs, slaps, and honks, but this album decidedly does not fuck. <laughs> I don't think any three of these do. So um, I'm, I'm going to reject that one. But yes, I think you're absolutely right. That like, I think that's true of all of these albums, though, that like I'm talking a lot about like production aspects and just musically what's happening and like situating these in a historical moment, but all of them just slap in their own way. Like they're all good listens. Um, and origin of symmetry is just full of bangers. I don't want that to get lost in my like, uh, more detailed dissection of it, but, um, they pulled this thing together somehow. Um, and I think it still holds up as just, Right, I hear that opening riff to uh, Hyper Music and Plug In Baby in particular, and like, I'm ready, man. I'm <laughs> I'm geared up. You had your hand up. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will rescind the 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 fucks thing because I think that's probably true, and I will substitute it with wanks in the British in the British style. The album does wank. That is true. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think. Again, like Travis, you can hear Muse pulling a lot of things together here. They're not trying to be Radiohead in particular, but I tried to give an understanding for both bands of how they they perhaps were filling a void that Radiohead was uh, intentionally leaving. Um, but then how they're, they're building from a bunch of different things and how they would become influential in their own right. Um, again, I mentioned some of the bands that we can think about in league with uh origin of symmetry particularly because of its production um and just a few more to sort of build out that scene as well i guess since i did it with soft rock um you know again moving back to botrill is also going to work with stuff like dream theater and stained and has worked with tool on several albums um and mudvane as well so like you can see a lot of these different um 
uh, elements of like hard rock and how that's going to become big again in you know early 2000s to mid 2000s and we we see music kind of the precipice of that um in the progier intentions of that as well that can kind of come out of okay computer but that muse is going to fashion in a different way a poppier way perhaps um and that's actually going to become a bit of a thing um going forward the next few years so uh, anything else about this tim you ready for spiel yeah let's do our let's do our run through here all right, so 33rd on the spin list is Radiohead's 2000 album Kid A. Um, it has been waxed about extensively, so we did our little ranking at the beginning. If for some reason you're coming into this episode late, go back to early and you can hear us rank the 10 songs. Um, that was the extent of our analysis. And <clears throat> the theme today is the next Radiohead, this obsession that. British press in particular, but American press too has with labeling the next big thing in rock. Um, and for us right now, that is the next Radiohead because they were the biggest and the best band doing it um, from OK Computer to Kid A in particular. And I, I contextualized that a little bit earlier, and I would like to suggest that part of it is uh, this understandable and genuine want for like a great rock, guitar rock standard bearer um, and Radiohead abdicating that, that title, that throne with Kid A. Um, so we're, we're sort of always searching for that. Um, so I've given Tim two replacement options that have succumbed to in different ways the next Radiohead label. And first, Travis and their 1999 album, The Man Who, which, if it's building from Radiohead, I think it's building from the Benz. Um, or, I, I did this for both of them, if we look at OK Computer tracks in particular, I think, uh, Tim, you should you'll remember those well enough. Uh, I think The Man Who is, what if we built the whole ship out of letdown? Um that softer, uh, folkier kind of thing, um, a lot of acoustic work on it, um, but some cooler, icier production um, and some, for Travis in particular, bluesier elements um, kind of resting in that music as well. Um, and it's, it's more, it's a, an airier, cooler, more windswept type thing. Um, so I think Travis builds from the bends, uh, and kind of the chill of some other soft rock and, and builds out of that a, a humble, earnest uh, soft rock a few years too early for their own good, but we can see them. Um, but again, the man who being very successful in its own time, um, they just had an unfortunate like <laughs> commercial fall. Um, but I think we see them building from Radiohead in that way and really moving forward to... Um, presaging a what will be a really popular moment in the mid 2000s in particular in the man who it's sort of the the the, the that change um and a particular type of rock that a lot of people really enjoy and would like to see move forward and i think that's how travis gets that title and a second replacement option muse and their 2001 album origin of symmetry uh and i say what if you built the whole ship out of exit music from a film or out of anyone can play guitar. Um, this is an album that builds on the, the crunchy and symphonic of Radiohead of OK Computer in particular, 
um, and melds to that Muse's own un, uh, arena jam sensibility with a, an utter lack of shame for that. Uh, this is unabashed banging arena rock um, <clears throat> mixed with that with those symphonic impulses, with that crunchier guitar work, um, and with high concept. And just a, a will to be stars, a will to be big, a will to be grandiose, a what I think some people wanted after OK Computer of Radiohead, just that will to be that grandiose torchbearer. Um, and I think in a lot of ways we can see Origin of Symmetry as basically proto-2000s hard rock. Um, and a different application of electronic stuff in particular, um, before, like right as garage rock is breaking with its sort of minimalist sensibility, and before electronic stuff really becomes part and parcel with what rock and pop are doing in general. Um, so I think Origin of Symmetry, again, we can see them building from not just Radiohead, but other bands as well in a particular way, and then, uh, or, and then the album becoming... Um, in perhaps odd little predictor of some stuff that would come next. So, uh, Tim, I leave it to you. Travis or Muse? Who who was, is, could have been the next Radiohead? So, I still very much believe the thing I said earlier about Travis and the, uh, the influence thing, and I still very much believe the thing I said about Muse and sort of choosing to absolutely rock it off in a different direction after they sort of reach this height that everybody wants them to stay at. This one was kind of tough, but I think I think the way that that you sort of look for or the way the way that I think you sort of anoint a next something, whether it's a next Radiohead or a next Jordan or a next Messi, I think like the sports thing is very like it's a very sports thing to look for the next X in your in your music, I think. Um, I think the way you do that is you sort of convince yourself that there's like a Frankenstein monster of, of different parts that go into it. Um, and whether or not, whether or not it can actually be human and pass that way, uh, the way that a band can pass as the next Radiohead is, is kind of the point. And for that reason, I'm kind of, I, I am going to go with the man who here, which is like a weird, it's a weird feeling for me. Um, but, like, there's just, like, so many little things that you mentioned about them, whether it's, like, the sort of, like, vaguely Yorkie falsetto or the the way that the production tricks and, like, the the way the production definitely, like, gets this sort of icier thing going on, uh, the influences that we talked about, even, like, some funky bass stuff going on. Like, I just kind of, I just kind of look at that and think, yes, if you look at all of those things and write them all down, and you're writing your column for whatever, for whatever magazine or newspaper you're at in Britain in 1998, 99, and you're on the lookout for your next Radiohead, and you check that all off, then yes, I can see it. Um, even though the world kind of said no, and I don't think I don't think that makes them Rashad McCants. Maybe that just makes them Jerry Stackhouse. I think maybe that's that's the way I'd go with this. A, a fine career for Jerry Stackhouse mm -hmm. and a player I like had a lot of <clears throat> a kind of random in the sense of like, I don't really know how I came about it, but love for back in the day um, in that kind of two thousands moment in particular, like very good career for that man. Um, very good career for Travis, I think. Um, 
but any of these bands, like when you try and label them as the next Radiohead, like that is doing them a disservice in some way. Um, but that said, Travis doing a very unique and fun thing. And like I said earlier, like as much as I'm digging into these, the man who just a really enjoyable listen. Again, I like as I said, I hadn't listened to it in a while. I put it on last night again, and was just immediately swept up by it. Um, it's 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 a very pleasant album. Um, which is certainly something we don't think about with Radiohead in particular. So it's as clear a sign as anything that Travis is kind of up to their own business here. Um, but I hope I've done a good job of selling both as like where they're building from Radiohead in particular, but other uh, rock bands in general, and how both of them, I think, in these albums and, and specifically um, are kind of predictors in their own way, how they are perhaps subtly or um, quietly influential in their own ways. Um, and I think the man who that's definitely true of, sort of out, out of step a bit in 99, um, but certainly wouldn't have been a few years later. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see Travis go through uh, as fun as muses to talk about and listen to. Um, I kind of dig that the man who makes it through here, but I would have been happy seeing either one. Um, Anything else about these, Tim? Or are we ready for a wrap-up? No, it's an interesting It's an interesting concept. It's not one I'd given a lot of thought to, and it's as confusing now as it was before in its own way. You know, just like, don't look for the next whatever. Like, it just, it just isn't, that's not how anything works. It's totally valid and awesome and cool to compare bands to other ones. I do that all the time. That's how we make sense of them for people. But like, as soon as you start looking for the next of something, it's not going to work. Or you're going to get Greta Van Fleet, who are literally the like next uh, Led Zeppelin in terms of sound. Another band that decidedly does not fuck, though. But Led Zeppelin was all about fucking. So, like, there's something major missing missing in that Greta Van Fleet equation. Um, so, again, even if, like, you sound perfect, there's always something missing if you're trying to be the next. Um, I don't think Travis and Muse bogged themselves down with that individually, um, but they were part of the narrative. Anyway, Kid A, number 33 on the spin list. We talked about the theme of the next Radiohead and two of the bands that have been labeled as such at various points in their career for whatever reasons tried to make sense of why that could be and then what those bands were doing that was unique in their own right and exciting on their own so i gave tim travis and their 1999 album the man who and muse and their 2001 uh, origin of symmetry and tim has chosen <clears throat> travis and the man who to make it through to the subtitles albums list thank you for listening to what i think ended up being a longer episode actually after i was actually good for like two um if you want to see more about tim and i who we are what we do stuff we blog about my spotify his letterboxd uh, if you want to catch up on past episodes of subtitles and listen to what I think were several that we referenced throughout this this episode, um, I guess we have enough that we can do that now, the, the extended subtitles universe. Uh, please go to our website, subtitlespodcast.com. Uh, check us out on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, if that's how you come about them primarily as well. And stay tuned for part two of this episode. Uh, we had just talked about a lot of critics trying to 
force the legend of Radiohead onto new bands via their own print. And in part two, we will talk about printing the legend itself as Tim uh, will go with riffs on Unforgiven.